0: So we just want to welcome you all back to our, we're almost at the end of this uh, first section of Ephesians, uh, chapters 1 to 3, as we um, continue on today in our study. Last week we were looking at, uh, in our last lesson, about how Paul, a minister of the gospel put in place by the Lord, had brought to the Ephesian church the mystery of the union between the Jew and the Gentile. This, Then he reveals that this mystery was made known eh, to the heavenlies, to other generations, through the medium of the church, which was quite a, an astounding thought. He closes out that in verse 13 of Ephesians 3, he closed out by an exhortation to say, look, don't lose heart. And the amazement that a man who's in chains, who's bound, was praying for them not to lose heart. Yet, I'm pretty sure for a lot of us, if it was the reverse, we would have lost heart being in chains. But such was the great calling and the great love of the apostle that he saw that to encourage the people, a true apostle indeed. And we move on just now um, with uh, what will be two lessons here. Hopefully, we'll get them finished in two lessons as we close out this part. Onto the final part from verses 14 to so, seven verses, onto the final part of Ephesians chapter 3. And that is where we look at Paul begins to pray for spiritual strength for the Ephesian church. And uh, so we'll start off by reading verses 7, chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. And it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you uh, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you Who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This we find is Paul's second prayer for the Ephesians. The first we saw, if we read in Ephesians 1 Was 15 to 23, where he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. An incredible prayer prayed by Paul in Ephesians 1. And now we begin to see in this prayer an intensity, an increase of intensity. And this comes forth in Paul's direct actions here, as we will see. So we go into verse 14 of chapter 3, and it begins with the phrase, uh, where he says for this reason i bow my knees before the father but he starts over the phrase for this reason it's another phrase which actually began in verse one of this chapter but was then interrupted as paul began to elaborate on his calling and his teaching of the mystery of the union and which now leads us on to the concluding part of this verse so he's gone off he's kind of like begun the 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 thought and then He's now interrupted it by teaching on the union and how that worked and the mystery and his, even his own calling. And now he picks it back up again in chapter 3 with the words, For this reason, it's a continuation. So Paul in verse 13 was saying, Do not lose heart. Walk in this promise. Walk in the unity God has revealed in his manifold wisdom to you. That you're no longer separated and divided by laws. But now, under Christ, you are one. So for that reason... Another way of wording it, you know, is is that, you know, because of that, I bow my knees before the Father. The first thing Paul does here is show complete submission to the will of God because of what God has revealed. Paul sees this as cause to bow, to worship, to fall down on his knees. I believe in a physical sense that he felt his knees and also a spiritual bowing. There is nothing more humbling than one who bows themselves to another. The word "bow" here literally means to bend the knee in honor of one. It is an act ascribed to worshippers. Eh, I often wonder how many times today do we actually, as believers, bow our knees in prayer and supplication, or even in you know, in in personal in that worship and that devotion time. How often would we bow before the Lord or Maker? The meaning of bowing is also found here in Romans and in Philippians. Uh, Romans and Philippians a verse I'm sure you're well familiar of. In Romans fourteen eleven, it says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, that every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. And then in Philippians 2, 10 to 11, it says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, you all know this, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, only God, only God could accomplish and achieve such a wondrous, miraculous union between a Jew and a Gentile. Only God could have abolished a rule of law and ordinances. Only God could have saved and chosen a persecutor of the church to be his spokesperson. Only God could have built the foundations to his future church through his own dear son Christ. Only God, only God. He built the foundations to his future church through Christ and then through simple men. Man, mere man, he used. And only God could have revealed his manifold wisdom to angelic rulers and principalities through the medium, through the vehicle of the church. Only God is to be bowed before, worshipped, and adored. You know, I'm reminded of that old chorus that sang, you know, as I was a much younger man and, and, and the words went something like, ascribe greatness to our God the Rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. John Calvin puts it like this regarding Paul's prayer here and his thoughts he's made. He mentions his prayers, Calvin says, for them, not only to testify his love for them, not only to testify his love for them, he says, but also... That they themselves may pray. For the word is sown in vain unless the Lord fertilizes it by his blessing. Therefore let pastors learn from Paul's example not only to admonish and exhort people, but also to seek from the Lord success for their labors, he says, that they may not be unfruitful. The Jews would pray often on their feet. This was standard practice. And when thou prayest, he says, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have got the reward. That's Matthew 6, 5. And then in Luke eighteen eleven to 13, it says, The Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publication. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me as a sinner. Yet Paul shows his intensity, which he's praying for the Ephesians here, by using the phrase, I bow my knees unto the Father. In Francis Folk's comments uh, on Ephesians, he, he, he said that kneeling for prayer, though it has become a regular Christian attitude, was formerly an expression of deep emotion or earnestness. And on that basis, we must understand Paul's words here. And in First Kings eight fifty four, we see Solomon mentioned here, he knelt at the dedication of the temple. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying, all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord... He arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. There's a posture for prayer for us. There's a posture on our knees, our hands extended in prayer. Stephen at the time of his own martyrdom in Acts 7.60 says this, and he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to the charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died there. You know, Wow. wait not to their charge. He's, he's on his knees crying out to God as they're killing him. Wow. He's asking Lord not to hold it against him. Wow. Unbelievable. Peter at, his deathbed, at the deathbed of Dorcas, Acts 9.40 he says, But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up. And then there's Paul at the time of his farewells on his last journey to Jerusalem in Acts twenty, thirty six to twenty one five, it says this and when he had thus spoken he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And when we had when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed and then again in Luke twenty-two forty-one, we mention Jesus our Lord Himself, his agony in Gethsemane and he has withdrawn from them about a stone's cast he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and he prayed you know, the use of the word father here also, I bow my knees to the God and Father, is not like that of, oh, daddy, daddy, type father. It's the fatherhood of that of lineage, as in he is the originator of all things, the father, the beginning of all things. You know, it's one of my most frustrated statements when I hear that thought, oh, daddy, daddy. And it's not, as oh, God and father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such awe and respect is due to him. To his name. You know he goes on then. And he says bowing he's to God and Father. And he mentions in verse 15. We move on and he says. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Paul goes on to speak of God. To whom he is bowing before. And that is, that is the God over all of creation from whom every family and who he mentions in two places is named the first thing to note is the use of the word from which brings the direction and focus onto who and in this case god so from god the father it is from god that every family in heaven and earth is named it is from god through christ so we have these two places he's named where is god the father he says whom every family is named First of all, in heaven. The meaning of the word family in heaven is not referring to those who have, as some would believe, gone before us, those saints who have died and have already gone to heaven. Uh, But it is in fact speaking to the holy order of angels and where angels abide. Now, if you remember previously in this verse, a church was used to reveal the mystery of God to the angelic realm, wasn't it? And now he's saying is whom God has named in the heavens the heavenly angels is about it is the multitude of angels who are seen as the family of whom God is named if we look for instance at Hebrews 12 9 we can get a bit more clarity on that Hebrews 12 9 says this furthermore we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live which is Speaking spiritual, spirits, angelic realm, and again in James one seventeen he says every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, angelic realm, with whom there is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Both of these references to angelic beings of whom God is the Father of. And then the second place it is named is uh, when we see this this passage where it's from whom every family is named. On heaven and earth. Is it earth? Speaks of all those who reside on earth today. Uh, his use of the word family. Could represent those who Paul believes are the children of God. And not that of all the human race. But I find this unlikely. As even without God's saving grace. All of humanity is named. And still under God's eternal law. It speaks of all the inhabitants of the earth. Whom God has named. It is only God who names And all of heaven and earth has received its name from heaven above. Man was called man because God called man, man. And after all things being given names, we learn the most valuable of all truths. That the name he has ascribed to us and is above every name. And it's at the name of Jesus, his name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord. A name. If we remember Ephesians 1, 10, where it tells us that Christ is the head over all things in heaven and earth. So in context, both the heavenly and the earthly are linked in so much as they depend upon the Father. And he says, in all things, these things that are named, and he comes out in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Paul humbly positioned, remember he's on his knees, begins in praises, makes a request to God that God himself would display the riches of his glory upon the Ephesian church. Those spiritual blessings, the abundance not of physical wealth or materialism but that of eternal blessings and promise. Those things that only dwell in the very glory of God. The riches here is that of an abundance of things that would enrich our lives. Oh the depth Oh, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways. Romans eleven thirty three tells us. The context of the riches mentioned here is also something we looked at previously in Ephesians one seven in our earlier lessons. In Him we have redemption. It says through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace this is something that we do not have to earn it is something that is a part of us and was bestowed upon us at our salvation for we have now all the access to riches of spiritual blessings in christ jesus and it says here, and according to the riches of these glory, that he may grant, here's Paul beginning to pray now, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Paul then reveals more of the content of this prayer that he's praying on his knees, which falls in line with him encouraging the Ephesians, as we saw in last week's lesson right at the end of verse 13, not to lose heart. He prays that God would give unto them real strength with added power. The strength that Paul praying for is from the riches of God's glory. His glory is is a miraculous power that, you know, illuminates things, that that, that brings with it all spiritual blessing. He is magnified in his glory. His glory shines throughout the earth, shines throughout creation. And this is the richness of God's glory, his, his magnificence. See, strength and power are a result of God's riches and glory. That's what he's praying for here, strength and power. They're a result of God's riches and glory. They are both according to, that is from which they're coming. So Paul is praying that out of the riches of God's glory, may he give from his infinite resources of spiritual things, strength and power. To grant You, in this phrase, means to permit or allow to have, or indeed meaning has already permitted to have. What Paul is praying for here is an increase of spiritual strength, that they would be made stronger and increase in and grow in strength. The word power here in the Greek translates as moral power and excellence of soul. So we see that Paul is praying for an increase in moral strength and excellence of soul the same phrase is found in other passages where paul brings clarity to its meaning in second corinthians 4 7 he says but we have this treasure in jars of clay as our earthly bodies to show that the surpassing power belongs to god and not to us god's incredible power and then in colossians 1 11 he says we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, we begin to see some of the characteristics of this moral strength and excellence of soul are that of endurance, patience and joy. Through trying times, Paul wishes them to continue in these things and grow and be strengthened in these things. And this is to be done, it goes on, the verse goes on to say, through his spirit. Now again as we have constantly been reminded that this is a spiritual blessing not a physical. It comes to us from God's spirit to touch our spirit. Now in turn it may at times result in ministering to our mortal bodies. Or the emphasis comes out of our mortal bodies. But the emphasis is on his Holy Spirit as the source which delivers all things to us. These spiritual blessings. For it is only by His Spirit that we can achieve the walking in the Spirit and the walking in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are indeed of the Spirit. So when we walk according to the Spirit, we will begin to display the fruit of Him. The fruit of the Spirit are not things that can be achieved without divine influence. Galatians 5.22 says, This of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. There's no law because they're spiritual. Let that sink in a little. Walk with the Spirit and you will change and display as a direct result the fruit of the Spirit. Walk according to the flesh and you will display the exact opposite. You know, I remember as a younger, much younger man than I am now. But I remember as a young Christian growing up. And I had come across the 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 fruit of the spirit, and I wanted to be and say right, okay, and I, and I picked out one. I said, right, I'm going to work on patience, and I'm going to work on joy, and I'm going to work on you know kindness, and and I would pick one at a time, and I would try and read what I could, but and I would try and force me to walk better and better and better and better, and I was trying to be more patient, and I was working away at it, working away at it, and I just always felt a complete and utter failure when it came to walking fully in the fruit of the spirit and I was there. Just so I kind of pushed that thought to the side and left it alone. And it was many years later I read a book by ago, Fresco and it talked about the fruit of the spirit and I began to read this little just a wee book and it just clicked as he began to unravel the fruit of the spirit. And it unraveled it for me in this context when he's when when I suddenly realized that the fruit of the spirit as in they are spiritual things so my own human trying to be more something was without the spirit. I was trying to do it of my own accord. I was trying to do it of things that I just thought I knew I could try or could do to make me more patient or more long-suffering or more kind. You know, about giving away hundreds of stuff, trying to feel like hundreds of things, you know. Oh, I'll give them a tie, I'll give them, you know, money, I'll buy them lunch, or trying to be kind always, and although these things are good deeds, they were never infused by the Holy Spirit. When I caught the understanding in my own life of these things, what a difference it made. It made me want to cling on to the Holy Spirit, to cling to Him dearly, and to walk in step with the Spirit. You see, it speaks of, it goes on to say, in our inner being, we would walk in the spirit in our inner being, right? And to further emphasize that point, he makes mention that it will equip and bless the inner man. He goes on in this verse 16. The spiritual part of man as in the soul, the conscience. Saint Corinthians 4.16 puts it like this. It says, So we do not lose heart through our outer, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And he goes on in Romans 7.22 and he says this For I delight in the law of God in my where in our being Oh, that we would experience that strengthening and power What it would be like to experience that strength and power in our souls Renewing our minds, affecting our conscience That we would not lose heart but walk according to the Spirit In line with the Spirit I had a book, eh, I bought a book many years ago by Packer, G.I. Packer, great theologian, and he had much to say in the influence of the Spirit, so much so that he authored a phenomenal book entitled Keeping in Step with the Spirit. I encourage you, if you've never read that, go and get that book. He reminds us that the Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give us thrills, but to create in us Christ-like character. You know, I'd see... In, Every time I look, I see churches, you know, seeking thrills or seeking goosebumply feelings of people, they want the best. Oh, the worship has made me feel all gooey, gooey, gooey. And, or, oh, this man prays me and this happening. It's always about the outward expressions they're seeking and it's immaturity. We should be seeking change of so that the Holy Spirit changes us to be like Christ. Christ-like character. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We must remember that upon our salvation we were given access to all of the spiritual blessings. However, it will be through the continued work of the Holy Spirit in our innermost being that we will continue to grow in faith. We'll continue to, to to grow in the things of God as we move forth. And we jump on to verse 17. And it says this, where he speaks, he says, So that, so he's saying it's that we know in our inner being, through his spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The result of this empowerment, right, of strength and power, will be the display that Christ is indeed dwelling in the heart of the believer. Far too often we do talk a good game, but we fail to live it. You know, we're good at talking and, you know, saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I go to church. Or, yeah, I do this. Yeah, I do that. When it comes to, you know, discussions, oh, I can talk a good game in a discussion group. Far too often we're not living it. We're talking it. Calvin, again, offers a very convicting thought on this subject. And, you know, I, I ponder this thought. I encourage you to just take some time to think of these words here. He says this. For many men have him, that's God he's talking about, in their mouth and even also in their brain as they hear him and think they equip, equip themselves well when they can prattle about him. But in the meanwhile there is no living root in them. It is not enough then to have some vague knowledge of Christ or to engage in airy speculations as they say, And to be able to talk a lot about him. But he, Christ, must first have his seat in our hearts within. So that we are unfeignedly joined to him. And with true affection. That is the way for us to be partakers of God's spirit. He goes on to say that this message he's speaking here. He says, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That you again he's speaking to the Ephesian church being rooted and grounded in love. Paul is speaking here of the Ephesian position in Christ since uh, in Christ since they were called by God unto salvation, they're now rooted and grounded in the love of God for all saints. This is to both Jews and Gentile alike, they're now rooted and grounded in love. Their ministry is that of love, for they shall be known. We saw our previous lesson, We shall be known by their love. The word "rooted" in this passage means to render firm, to fix, to establish, to cause a person or a thing to be thoroughly grounded. The word "grounded" means to be made stable. So it's not that we would. it's not that we should seek from the Lord. Paul knows this and seeks the Lord for us that we would walk in a firm and sure love for one another. You see, it's deep roots and firm foundations. Deep roots and firm foundations. So we're going to end our lesson here just now and we'll pick up shortly in our final lesson of chapter three.